history when Jesus came. And we thought, actually, in our minds, that's when God drew a line in the sand. And he drew a line in the sand to mark time, and we see that in our calendar, and I know other cultures, and they try and change that a little bit. But there was. There was a focal point in time in history where God drew a line and said, this is a new thing, and here's, this is new. Which technically wasn't actually true, because when you go back, and we go all the way back to the beginning of history, that was God wanted to do something. And so this morning, we wanted to share around, you know, what happened before the line in the sand, which is what I've got the task of doing, and what happened after the line in the sand. And so today we, we know, you know, it's eight days to Christmas. Yes, eight days. Everybody finished their shopping. I've got like three more things to get. Um, but it also marks that, you know, for some people in culture and history, it marks the, the final week of leading up to the celebration of the birth of Jesus. So we celebrate Jesus' birth on the 25th because, yeah, we didn't really know the exact date, but it's a, it's a date that we mark and celebrate because it was roughly around this time of year um, when, when it happened. And traditionally, there isn't really anything too significant about this milestone eight days before. But in some cultures or traditions, you know, people are starting to get prepared. They're starting to think about what their food's going to look like for Christmas Day, uh, finalize some shopping. Others tend to um, go towards more spiritual contemplation, you know, emphasizing the things, themes of hope, anticipation, fulfillment of prophecy um, regarding the coming um, of Jesus as the Messiah. So when we look at um, eight days and we said, what we're going to talk about. Ruth and I want to take you on a little journey that we labelled the line in the sand. And we want to journey through time exploring how our ancestors perceived and worshipped God before the coming of Jesus. And Ruth is going to look at how things changed since the coming of Jesus and what has changed. Not necessarily in God, because God hasn't changed, but in our worship of Him and in our understanding of God. Because before the cross, worship of God was very different. And we see that in some cultures still today, but we also can look back in history and understand that. For, um, worship of God was very different and changed throughout the centuries. You know, the scripture provides us glimpses of the hearts and minds of those who sought to connect God and also God to connect with them. So if we start in Genesis, because we have to have a starting point. So we start in Genesis, we've witnessed various encounters where people connected with God on a personal level. So it was very personal. We see that Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. So God was with them from the very beginning. Even through to Noah, where God was with Noah, and he had Noah in, was favored in God's eyes. And these interactions show an intimate relationship between humankind and their creator. However, something shifted after that period of time. From this time, we now see humans slowly going their own way. They thought they started to, to, to separate themselves from God. It wasn't God separating himself. We did it. And mankind moved throughout the globe, and a personal connection with God started to dissipate. Man begin, began to lose the personal, intimate connection with God and created other means to try and find him. They created things like your idols um, and, and other bits. And I dare to say or suggest that we lost that spiritual, intimate connection that we once had with our Creator. Humans had a very deep sense of the spiritual and were very attuned to this realm. And I think today there's still some of that happens. But over the centuries, this connection got lost. And it did. 
we were, we were able to hear God very, very clearly. And there's instances in the Bible where this still happened, and it happens today. I'm not saying it's gone completely, but general sense, 99.99%. You know, we were able to hear God. We were able to commune with him like we do like this as people and revere him in a very different way. But unfortunately, it got lost for many of mankind. Not, not all, though. And the Bible does give us some examples of some who still commune with God and serve his purpose. So if we look at Abram, who later became Abraham, you know, this exemplifies faith and obedience. In Genesis 12, God called him to leave his country. So he, when he called him, he, he obviously had a personal revelation and, and a hearing of God to go to a land that he would show him. And through this call, we see a pattern that God initiates contact and humans are responding with trust and reverence. This is all shown throughout Scripture and throughout the Bible, where God initiates contact with mankind to foster a relationship with us. Yet it is always man that chooses to separate himself from God. And we dare to say that it is God that walks away from us, whereas that's not the, that's not the case. See, the Israelites, who were led by Moses, encountered God in the burning who was led by Moses, he encountered God in the burning bush. And in Exodus 3, Moses witnessed a profound manifestation of God's presence and his holiness. This encounter marked a pivotal point in God revealing himself to humans as I am. So now we know that God is I am and he has a name. And he's commissioned Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. See, this was now another turning point in scripture to say this is a new beginning and a new way to connect and worship God. We've gone from an intimate personal connection from the, in the garden, walking with God, talking with God, to a period of humans walking away from God and figuring out their own way to try and connect with him, to then God speaking to a few people and initiating relationship once more. He tried and he tried. See, by this time, we now have multiple people groups scattered all throughout the earth. And we can see that today. All figuring out their own way to connect with God or the spiritual realm. Rather than looking back or seeking to how God actually wants to connect with them. So they're trying to connect with God their way, but they're not asking, hang on God, how do you want to connect with us? Right? See, they have all these wonderful elaborate rituals and sacrifices across many cultures and religions where they perceived was the best way to approach God reverently, seeking forgiveness and communing with the divine. We can't blame them for it, but that's just how they thought was the best way to do that. And you see that all through, all through history. Many tribes all across the world, you know, through the Inca, through um, North Americans, Asia, everywhere else, they all have their own ways trying to connect with the spiritual, trying to connect with their creator. But it wasn't how he wanted to connect with them. Many cultures around the world develop their own religions, all with the same purpose of connecting with the divine. But what I found interesting is that this point of connection wasn't about personal relationship that we see in Genesis. It was one of worship through idols of either one or many deities, including your own self, worship of self. Or it was worship through other things like religious activities, right? For some reason, we move from a personal connection with God and we move to um, a formulated, more complex system with lots of rules, with lots of do's and lots of don'ts. We also put in a hierarchy of people that we needed to speak with God to, well, we needed to, them to speak to God on our behalf, which wasn't really the intended purpose of what God created us for. Or, you know, 
like we weren't good enough maybe or you know we're not able to have that connection with them because mankind put those rules in place going no no you can't do that I can do it for you though and hey a few coins on the backside wouldn't, um, wouldn't, hurt, wouldn't hurt either see I personally don't believe God put this disconnection in place I believe he always wanted a deeper connection with us because that is why he created us in the first place however we humans were wonderful at stuffing things up <laughs> Hey, look, it's one of our most beautiful flaws, right? <laughs> That's why I think God looks at us as a bit of a diamond in the rough. He sort of crafts and molds us. And then eventually, maybe one day, you might be this beautiful sparkly stone. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> However, God, I think, foresaw this. And, you know, whilst we lost our ability to connect, others in history, and, you know, the list can continue on forever. But if we look at prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, you know, they conveyed God's message often calling people to turn back to God and to live in righteousness. Through their words, we glimpse the complexity of humanity's relationship with God and our cycles of faithfulness and disobedience. However, through all of this, God's enduring love and desire for reconciliation never ceased. And, we, and Ruth will talk a bit more about that. Throughout history, people employed various practices and methods to seek connection with God. You know, often influenced by their own cultural beliefs, because culture drove this aspect, or their own customs and their own understanding of the supernatural. Uh, for us that, that do extensive travel around the world, you know, we do see this even practiced today. These, these ancient practices continue on, and it's not, you can see beauty in it, but you can also see, hang on, what are you doing this for? Like, ask the question, ask the other question and see how that happens. But, you know, if we look at some of the examples of these um, spiritual or cultural beliefs and customs, things like offerings and sacrifices, many ancient religions offer sacrifices, animals, food, babies, other valuable items, as a means of appeasing and honoring the gods. These offerings symbolize gratitude or they look for favor from the gods or they were intended to maintain harmony with the gods because there was a perception the gods are out to get us and, you know, we Got to be peaceful and harmonious. There were things like rituals and ceremonies. Elaborate rituals and ceremonies were very common in ancient religions and, and still so much so into some of the religions today. These rituals often involve priests or religious leaders performing specific acts, prayers, chants, dances. We should do that, a bit of dances. To communicate or honor the gods as well. You know, some of us build these wonderful temples and sacred spaces that we can, um, you know, go and construct in, 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 in honour to the deities out there. And these places serve as focal points for worship, where people gather for ceremonies, prayers and offerings. And I, I like that old saying, you know, you can't contain God to a box, you can't put him in a building. Even the ancient Israelites, they, he, they, they put his presence in the box. But that wasn't the point, that was never the intended purpose of what God wanted, but they needed something. We also have things like idolatry and images. You know, many ancient religions, even now you travel through Asia, um, use statues, idols, or symbolic uh, representations of their gods so that they can worship something. These images were considered physical manifestations or aids for connecting with the divine. They, they, yeah, some, it's, I, I, just, I don't get it personally, but I do understand and appreciate what, how they think. Uh, they also have things like divination or divina oracles, seeking guidance or fortune telling, um, you know, for the future was very common. And in some of our um, New Age religion, it is very common as well. 
you know, consulting oracles, <laughs> interpreting the signs, and using mediums were believed to reveal the will of the gods, or God's will for, for what's going on. Festivals and celebrations. Um, ancient civilizations held festivals and religious celebrations to honor specific gods and mark specific events. These festivities involve, you know, gathering together, feasting, processions, lots of religious rites. There's also things like sacred myths and stories were all passed down orally or through scripture. And that's how we had our Bible, you know, it was all passed down. Nothing was written before Moses, but it was, it was passed down orally through the generations. These narratives explain the origins of the world, the roles of the gods and the goddesses, and provided moral and scriptural guidance. And I think some of those oracle or those oral representations, it could have been skewed a little bit, the path went that way or went that way, which is very, could have happened. We, we can't say it didn't. Um, things like mysticism, you know, some individuals um, pursued lifestyles or mystical practices to see, seek a deeper connection. You know, these often involve things like meditation or fasting, withdrawing for, from society to attain spiritual enlightenment because they feel that, you know, if we become more spiritually enlightened, we'll be closer to God. Or you go on pilgrimages, sacred sites or locations believed to be imbued with the spiritual significance as a way to seek connection. And we see that um, in some cultures and religions today, that you have to go on a pilgrimage so that you can show that you're closer to God. We see these that people want to go to places, I, I often quite hear everybody wants to go to India. And I ask, why do you want to go to India? Like, I've been there. It was all right, food's good. But um, they say, no, no, I want to go to India because I want to find spiritual enlightenment. I'm going, what? You don't need to find spiritual enlightenment. You don't need to find spiritual peace in India. You can find it right here in your own backyard. Go to the beach. It's a beautiful place. <laughs> you know, I, I quite often, I, I laugh when I hear these kind of things because I go, right, but there must be something in them that they're looking for and they're seeking. And, you know, the scripture says that we, we, we keep looking for him in different ways. But we don't need to travel across the world to go and find him somewhere because, you know, if we feel that it's more spiritual there, we can find him right here in our own backyard. So throughout history, we see humanity's attempts to connect with God through things like sacrifice, rituals, obedience to divine commandments. However, these were merely shadows in the ultimate revelation of God's love and grace, which is all culminated and shown through Jesus. And in 1 John, we read, no one has ever seen God but the, own, but the one and only Son, who himself God, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, walked among us, revealing the Father's heart, embodying love, grace, and truth. You see, Jesus' life teachings, death and resurrection, changed everything. That line got drawn in the sand at his point, at his birth. He became the bridge between humanity and God, offering not only salvation, but showing us a way to relate with the divine through faith in him. And we see that in Jesus' practices, that he went and had an intimate relationship with the Father through himself. Genesis gives us a starting point and gives us God's intended relationship for us, which was personal with mankind. And Jesus, I like to call him the midway point, kind of don't really know where the end is yet, comes to remind us of this and he comes to show us how we can have this once again, this intimate relationship. He comes to show us the intended relationship that the Father, the Creator wants for his children as well.
egalitarian God, he's there. If we want to find an ethnocentric God, he's there. If we want to find a God demanding blood sacrifice, he's there. And if we want to find a God abolishing blood sacrifice, he's there. Sometimes the Bible is actually more like a personality test in that it reveals more of the reader (laughs) than it does of God. So what are we to do? How are we to discover God, who God is? As I said before, Jesus' birth, Jesus coming to earth changed everything. We need to look to Jesus to see God, to know what God is like. We need to look at the life of Jesus. And I speak on this often because I am so passionate about it. We need to keep Jesus at the heart of everything. Jesus audaciously made this claim that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That's good news. God is like Jesus. This is what Christianity is. This is what following Christ is about. And we're not to be confused as Bible followers. I love the Word of God. I love the Bible. Absolutely love it. And it's not about having a low view of the Bible at all. Be clear about that. This is not about having a low view of the Bible, but it's about having a higher view of Jesus. The Bible is the inspired witness to the true word of God, who is Jesus. And what the Bible does infallibly is it takes us on this journey, as Sean has talked about already, that culminates with Christ. But it is Christ who fully reveals God. Or we can say it this way, the scriptures ultimately bear witness to Christ and Christ perfectly bears witness to God. While we are searching the Bible to find out what God is like, the Bible is all the while pointing us to Jesus. The revelation of God, as Sean said, could not be contained in a box. It could not be contained in a prophet's voice. It could not be contained in the Bible, but the full revelation of God can be contained in the human life of Jesus Christ. God is like Jesus. Jesus is the message of God. Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is the full and faithful witness to how God is to be understood. See, Jesus didn't come to save us from God, as some theories would lead us to believe. Jesus came to reveal God as Saviour. Jesus didn't come to enable God to love us. Jesus came to reveal God as love. Jesus didn't come to reconcile God to the world. Jesus came to reconcile the world to God. Jesus, God is like Jesus, absorbing, forgiving and taking away the sins of the world. And in this Christmas season, in this season of Advent, when we pause and when we remember the birth of Jesus, let's be clear about how his birth changed the world. 
how it changed, should change, needs to change the way we know and understand God. Jesus is that line in the sand whereby everything up to his arrival points to him, shines light to him. He came, he is the full light, he is the full revelation of who God is. And from this point going forward, we live out our life knowing our purpose, knowing our eternity according to this revelation. God is a good God. And I think we also need to be careful that um, we... hmm. Sometimes we become so familiar with God and the grace gospel that we lose the sense of worship and adoration and honour and glory to our King. It's not about that either. We don't want to go to this full extreme of God's grace, I can live my life however I want, because that's not the full revelation of Jesus either. That's not what the full revelation he came for. But in understanding who God is like, in in understanding he wants that personal relationship with us, that he's always wanted that personal relationship with us, we live our lives in obedience to him because we want to become more Christ-like. We want to become more like him. And therefore, when we muck up, because we do, humans stuff up, We know that God's goodness and grace follows us all the days of our lives. You know, Christmas season can be a joyous time. It absolutely is, but it can also be a painful time for many as well. But I pray, we pray, as a church we pray that you will know and experience God's overwhelming love for you. For you this Christmas. He came for you. He comes for you. He knows you. He loves you. And he is for you. Let's stand and we're going to pray. And then Ash is going to lead us in our final song, Joy to the World. Father, we thank you that we have this ability to come to you, that we have this uh, access to you, not in anything that we do, but because of who you are because of who you've created us to be in relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for your son. We thank you in this time of Advent and this time of anticipating the birth of your son into this world. We thank you, Lord, for the gift that he came. He came in love. He came to reveal you as love. He came to reveal who you are. And he came to set us on that right trajectory again. To get rid of all those pagan things that we were doing. To get rid of all the rituals and the the things that we were doing wrong. But Father, to bring us back into alignment with you and your heart and your heart for us. So Lord, in this Christmas season, we just want to worship you. We want to adore you. We thank you, for Lord, for coming to this earth. And we thank you, Lord, that you have set us right. Father, we just continue to want to walk in your ways. We want to walk in your goodness. We want to walk in your grace. We want to walk in alignment with you 
living out our purpose according to your will. Lord, we thank you for all of eternity. We thank you that we live afresh in you each and every day. And for everybody here, Lord, I pray a Christmas blessing over them. I pray, Father God, that they would experience, that they would know, that they would sense their heart for you yet again. For family that are traveling, for people that are traveling away, Lord, we pray for protection over them. We pray for safety. Lord, we pray for those who find Christmas a little bit tough or even a lot tough, Father, that it can bring up some painful memories of loss, of heartache, of separation. Lord, we pray a blessing of peace over them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.